0: Welcome to Glass Houses, a Billy Joel podcast. I'm Michael Grosvenor. And I'm Jack Frinino. Join us as we dig deep into Billy Joel's songs and history and what his music has meant to us. Billy Joel released his first studio album, Cold Spring Harbor, in November 1971. Almost 50 years to the day, his fans are celebrating a string of exciting new announcements.
1: And our most timely episode
0: yet will cover the latest developments in the Billy Joel world. On Friday, November 5th, Billy brought his record-breaking residency back to Madison Square Garden after a nearly two-year hiatus due to the pandemic. Also on November 5th, Billy released The Vinyl Collection Volume 1, It's a box set containing new masters of his first six studio albums, Songs in the Attic, and an unreleased concert from 1975. In the lead-up to the box set, Billy also released a new animated video for scenes from an Italian restaurant. And, in an announcement that seemed tailor-made for our co-host Michael, we learned that Billy and Metallica will soon play at the same venue on the same weekend in Las Vegas.
1: It's a lot at once, and we're here to share in the excitement, Join us as we dig deep into the latest and greatest Billy Joel
0: news. Ladies and gentlemen, this episode is brought to you by Edgar Winter, because it's a Frankenstein. (laughs) Can we play that one or do I have to sing the riff? (laughs) I'm drumming the fill on my chest right now. How appropriate with
1: uh, just wrapping up Halloween here.
0: We have um, on the surface what seems like a hodgepodge of items. And we're recording it out of sequence and at the last minute because although they're very scattered, they're all very timely and everything seems to be hitting at the same time. The least timely thing we are going to go over is the new scenes from an Italian restaurant animated video that came out in October. And from there, we're going into a dual-band announcement that seems custom-made for a one Michael Grosvenor. Yes, indeed. We're going to talk about uh, Billy's return to Madison Square Garden from Friday night, November 5th. We don't know if there's any surprises. We don't know if there's any weird covers. We don't know if Summer Highland Falls finally beat out Vienna in the crowd choice. (laughs) Uh, We'll get to that. But
1: also really exciting on Friday, November 5th, is the release of The Vinyl Collection Volume 1, which is the very first vinyl box set from Billy Joel that's going to encompass his 1970s records, his Songs in the Attic album, as well as a brand new, previously unreleased live show. So we're going to do an unboxing of that and go deep into what's going on with that new set as well. So a lot of exciting things happening all at once.
0: Now, some of you may have seen our Facebook and or YouTube uh, unboxing. And we're going to pull a lot of the audio from that. Uh, it's going to be a little abridged version of what you saw uh, on Friday. And then we're going to keep going. After that, we're going to dive into the two songs from American Music Hall 1975 that were released on YouTube. New York State of Mind and Everybody Loves You Now. All right, enough chit chat. we got a lot to do. Let's get to letters. <laughs> yeah. Our first one comes from Chris. This is the longest chain we've had. He wrote us back in August and we finished corresponding in October. He writes, Good evening, Michael and Jack. Thank you so much for making this podcast. This is a labor of love and it shows for all of us Billy Joel superfans. I'm writing to you two about the Eye of the Storm episode. Way back in the spring of 2001, I was almost done with the spring quarter of my eighth grade U.S. history class at Jonas E. Salk Middle School in Levittown, New York. My teacher, Miss McKevitt, Let us watch the music video for We Didn't Start the Fire by Billy Joel on VHS as a treat for finishing our unit on the Cold War. I enjoyed the visuals as well as hearing about the important figures in each passing decade. Once that video was done, she stopped the tape just as the music video for Leningrad started. As typical 8th graders, we begged her to watch the rest of it. To this day, I still don't know if Miss McKevitt intends for us to watch Leningrad or not. Nonetheless, she let us watch it because she said this song was also about the Cold War and the differences between the ordinary lives of Americans and Russians. I was floored by the lyrical content. It hammered home how the Russians felt despair under communist rule while the Americans were under constant fear of nuclear destruction. Only when Billy meets Victor do they come to a mutual understanding and eventual friendship. What a powerful concept to learn as an 8th grader. What drove it home literally for me were the lines... Cold War kids were hard to kill, under their desks in an air raid drill, and the children lived in Levittown, hidden in shelters underground. After school that day, I asked my parents if both of those things happened. They said yes and explained how their schools had regular drills, where they either went to fallout shelters or had to hide under their desks, depending on what alarms they heard. I had to share, after you mentioned the order of the eye of the storm, going from Weedon Start to Fire to Leningrad. Keep up the great work. And then we had a little back and forth. And uh, in the back and forth, he gave us a little more, uh, he, you know, he gave us a little more uh, info. He said, uh, there's definitely a pride knowing Billy Joel name check Levittown in Leningrad. I grew up on Long Island near Levittown. I am now located in upstate New York. My theater teacher in high school shared with us on the first day of class, freshman year, two Billy Joel facts. The first being that Virginia, in only the good die young, went to my high school, Holy Trinity, a Catholic school near Hicksville High School, where Billy Joel was a student. The second thing is the Village Green, referred to in scenes from the Italian restaurant, is located next to Holy Trinity High School. So that's cool. I knew Village Green was a real place. Pretty sure I knew that Virginia was real, too. But that's pretty cool to, to hear that all together. Chris, thanks so much for writing in. So if you were in eighth grade in 2001, you are a little bit younger than us. Not by a depressing amount, but, you know, a little bit. Almost curious if uh, if you watched this before or after 9-11, then. Um, kind of wonder how that's going to color that entire conversation and the interpretation of the song at that point. But I love to hear that an eighth grader uh, in 2001 got floored by Leningrad. I think that's great. I think when I was in third or fourth grade, you know, this was kind of at the height of Billy Joel mania. So, you know, you were listening to the album and, you know, it was contemporary and everything else. And, you know, you were going to feel a certain way about it. But yeah, it's great to hear that, you know, that far after the album came out, it was still having that sort of impact.
1: You know, it's funny, too. He mentions watching the video in class, in history class. And I feel like that was a lot easier to pull off in New York was to listen to Billy Joel songs or play Billy Joel videos. (laughs) Um, You know, hometown guy, uh, a lot of love for Billy. But I actually got away with it a little bit in college myself. Recently, I was probably five, six years ago, I was taking just some additional college classes in Michigan and was taking a history class as well, where we happened to be talking about the Cold War. And me being the guy I am used any opportunity to interject Billy Joel into the conversation, (laughs) told my teacher about this. I said, yeah, you know, Billy was the first American rock star to do a full tour in America and gave her the brief Victor spiel and told her about this documentary that just came out Said I can bring in the DVD. I think it'd be something super relevant to class with what we're talking Mm -hmm. about. And so I let her borrow it and she listened, she watched it. She agreed. She's like, yeah, Absolutely. We could definitely play it in one of these next classes. I said, okay, great. Just hang on to it until then. She, it turns out she did, but it happened to be a class that I missed for some odd reason. So I didn't get to enjoy it. But sure enough, they did play a segment of the uh, Matter Trust documentary. Our next email comes from Jonathan Slomka. He writes Michael and Jack, great podcast as always. Very insightful and glad you guys let Mike Del Judas speak openly about all things Mike, Big Shot, and Billy. I've been a regular at Mike and Big Shot shows since the early days across Long Island and even took my family to see his rarity show on Billy's birthday. Those cuts were done to perfection. Since January 2014, I've seen nearly every MSG show and can't wait to get back again this Friday. I've missed these so much, I just couldn't wait for the next New York City one to come around. So this summer, I hopped a flight to Fenway. I got there early, and as I walked up, I could hear the sound check from the street. This quickly brought a smile to my face, and I knew I was in the right place. Billy was in good voice, and the band was in prime form. And while Missing Andy was a bummer, Mike filled in perfectly on bass, which at the time was a surprise to see. It rained for 90% of the show, but we didn't care because we had Billy and his crew. Keep it up, fellas, and look forward to more of your introspective podcasts. Jonathan. Well, thanks, Jonathan that's so great that you're going to be at this show as well. Uh, I've, I've got so much excitement for everyone who's going to be back there. I've been lucky to see a couple of garden shows over the course of the residency. Uh, so I'm very happy that you, uh, you're going to get to go to the show and you know, we'd love to hear from you as well afterwards. And you know, we'd love to hear your report and what you experienced that night.
0: Yeah. You and anyone else that wants to chime in, uh, I guess we'll do this pitch real quick at the beginning instead of the end, but, uh, yeah, you know, let us know how that show was. Let us know what you thought. Yeah, that's awesome. I, I love that you've made it to that many shows. I love that you made it to Fenway uh, and that it sounded great with um, Michael instead of Andy on bass. Awesome. I'm sure you're even happier than we are then that the machine's back uh, up and running.
1: I know the band and crew has missed it so much. My friends, Clint and Ethan, who host Metal Up Your Podcast, they're touring musicians as well. Uh, they've toured with Kings of Leon, Need to Breathe, Bob Schneider. They're both currently touring with a country artist named Morgan Wade, and it's their first full-time touring gig since the pandemic. And I was just chatting with Ethan earlier tonight, and he's just about to get back on the bus to go back out for another leg. And these guys are just so grateful to be back on the road, and I know the Billy Joel band and crew is feeling the same thing. So they are very grateful to be back out there, and so glad to be playing for everybody.
0: And speaking of Metallica, you, you, you. You want to take this one?
1: I think (laughs) that makes sense. (laughs) So I'll tell you what, this breaking news here blew my mind, and you're going to find out why. Last week, they announced a weekend of shows in Las Vegas on two nights, one night by Billy Joel and the other night, none other than Metallica. Now, if you've listened to any of this podcast, I'm sure you've picked up by now what a Metallica fan I am. They're up there with Billy for me. Uh, I could talk about them all day long. I try to use restraint on this podcast, but <laughs> I finally have a legitimate reason. You use restraint. I use the little razor blade thing in Audition. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Tacticality. <laughs> you use restraint on my yeah. behalf. But here it is. So February, Billy and Metallica are playing two nights at Allegiant Stadium in Las Vegas. And I've got a little rest... Announcement here. It says Metallica and Billy Joel to headline Allegiant Stadium in Las Vegas, February 25th and 26th, 2022. Two epic shows, one unforgettable weekend. Metallica on Friday, February 25th. Billy Joel on Saturday, February 26th. Tickets go on sale Friday, October 29th at 10 a.m. Two of the most iconic names of music history are taking over Allegiant Stadium in Las Vegas for one epic weekend this February The weekend kicks off Friday, February 25th with an unforgettable performance from one of the most influential and successful rock bands in history, Metallica, who will be joined by Greta Van Fleet. Then one of the most popular recording artists and respected entertainers in the world, Billy Joel, will perform at the stadium Saturday, February 26th. And then it goes into some pre-sale ticketing information.
0: I'm really curious to see how many other people you see at both shows. Also really curious to see if there's a special guest at the Billy show. Yeah, Billy's been known for the special guests. You know, he always has
1: somebody typically at the garden. And, you know, I've seen Joe Elliott come up on stage and Stephen Tyler, you name it. So many people. And the last time Billy played Chicago, James Hetfield was at the show. There's a mm-hmm. picture of the two of them. But uh, I would love to see like James come up or Kirk come up and play or, you know, something like that. It would be a lot of fun to see at a Billy show.
0: All right, here, here's my off-the-wall prediction. Chainsaw starts doing ACDC. It grinds to a halt and Hetfield comes out and either finishes it or goes into, like, battery or something. <laughs> Just for a second.
1: <laughs> yeah, we'll definitely talk about the shows after they happen, but yeah. I am ecstatic that I'll be there. I haven't seen Billy since Portland 2017, end of 2017, I think it was. Maybe end of 2018, I forget which now, but... It's been a couple years since I've seen Billy, and uh, Metallica was my last big show, SNM2 in 2019. So I'm I'm so excited to see my two favorites back to back. It's gonna be so fun.
0: Yeah, that's amazing. As we said later on, we're gonna get into the box set, and this release uh, is sort of tied into the box set. It's the now new official video for Scenes from an Italian Restaurant. You can find that on YouTube on Billy Joel's channel. the uh, Billy Joel, das Scenes from an Italian Restaurant official music video. And it, uh, you know, mentions off of The Stranger is included in the brand new vinyl collection volume one available November 5th. Uh, so it's an animated video, uh, all seven minutes and 32 seconds. What'd you think of it, Michael? I dug quite a bit of
1: it. I like the color choice. I-, I think the animation is fun. The only thing that bugged me was their use of Billy Joel imagery yeah, was not period correct. Again, I'm a weird stickler for that stuff. It's a studio recording from 77, but you see, you know, 2012 Billy, and you see 1990 Billy and 1987 Billy, but you don't really see 1977 or 78 Billy. And I would have loved the footage they used of Billy to have been from the, at least from the late 70s.
0: Yeah, well, I mean, to be honest with you, I could have done with no Billy in this and let the story sit on its own. What I did like about it is it's sort of set up like an animated comic book where you see it go from panel to panel and occasionally, well, for a lot of the time the people move, you know, but then it goes to the next panel and things like that. I guess it's a very modern looking video, which, uh, you know, to me, I would have loved to have seen it, you know, look older, although I don't know how they would have done that with a cartoon Beautifully rendered, without a doubt.
1: Oh, absolutely.
0: Yeah, uh, I think the best part was the Brenda and Eddie part. Just the motion of the animation really fit the tempo of the song exceptionally well, right there. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. yeah, but it was it was weird. It was a little jarring to see to see them drive, and then at one point they're in like you know modern Times Square, not nineteen seventies Times Square, which is a completely right. different scenario. <laughs> totally different Times Square. Yeah. yeah. So definitely worth checking out, just uh, check that out on YouTube, the audio is all the same but the visuals are all new. And now on to what's new in the Billy Joel world, starting with this.
1: sound you heard was the opening to miami 2017 as we kicked off the return to madison square garden our good friend eric Fellon sent that to us and that was the real-time opening of the show just last night
0: now unfortunately michael and i weren't there i like to think of myself just as during woodstock miles davis was not at the concert but was instead recording bitches brew instead of being at the show i was very busy editing this episode together instead yes I just compared myself to Miles Davis. I want to console myself somehow that I couldn't make it up to the garden for this. You were kind of, relatively speaking, within stone's throw, or at least a train ride. <laughs> yeah, I could have made it, but, uh, but we know people that did. And uh, we certainly got to see many, many glimpses of it on Facebook all night.
1: Every post I saw was just pure joy and excitement. Everyone was so relieved to be back to it. We've thrown around this word normalcy as we are trying to come out of the pandemic here. For a lot of us in this community, live music is one of the most normal and everyday things we all do. I know I can speak for Jenny and I. We would go to dozens of shows a year. So I can imagine the feeling of everyone being back at Madison Square Garden, enjoying that common bond of a Billy Joel concert. The reaction I was seeing from everyone on Facebook this morning and last night, was evident of that.
0: Yeah, it was great you know, seeing pictures of the retold meetup ahead of time, seeing people post pictures and video. It was also fun, now that I know more people in the group, seeing people pop up in other people's uh, photos and videos. Let's talk about the show itself. Andy Sashone of course, was back on stage, so it was the full Billy band. And it was a strong set list, and Billy and the band
1: came out with a great set list, 25 songs in total. The show opened... With Miami 2017, appropriately. We went into Moving Out, My Life, New York State of Mind, which he played in tribute to 9 11 firefighter Neil Sko. Everybody Loves You Now, Zanzibar, Vienna, Allentown, Pressure, The Downeaster Alexa, The Entertainer, She's Always a Woman, Don't Ask Me Why, All for Lena, Sometimes a Fantasy, The River of Dreams with an interlude of ZZ Tops Tush with Mike Del Judas on vocals, Only the Good Die Young, Nessun Dorma, Scenes from an Italian Restaurant, Piano Man, and then we have there the Encore Break, then We Didn't Start the Fire, Uptown Girl, It's Still Rock and Roll to Me, Big Shot, and You May Be Right.
0: So no huge surprises here, although obviously all for Lane and sometimes a fantasy. Must have been a great treat for the audience.
1: That's what caught my eye most about that was the back-to-back Glass Houses tracks there. That would have been a lot of fun. And the Downeaster Alexa is another great one that doesn't get pulled out all the time as well.
0: And unfortunately, no special guests. After a year plus of conjecture and hope from so many of us, (laughs) uh, Liberty DeVito did not take to the drums, nor did anybody else outside the band uh, get up and, and perform anything. That doesn't
1: terribly surprise me. I think everyone's still being very cautious within the Billy camp. You know, the band and crew have a strict protocol, I'm sure, that they're following. And, you know, to bring in somebody from the outside to come up on stage is probably just a little soon for that. But I'm sure in due time, we're going to get some special guests coming back to these shows.
0: It's a shame, but yeah, it's definitely understandable. So we've all heard uh, how much, you know, a lot of the fans loved it. Let's see what the critics had to say. I'm going to read some excerpts from two reviews that popped up this morning. Uh, First one is from Rolling Stone. It starts off talking about the opener, Miami 2017, and it says, When Joel wrote the tune in 1976, he predicted that the Broadway lights would turn out in 2017. He was just three years off. The set list was largely familiar to anyone who's seen Joel at MSG since he started playing monthly shows there in January 2014, but the long layoff breathed new life into well-worn tunes like My Life, Moving Out, Allentown, and Pressure. Even the non hits, like All for Lena, Everybody Loves You Now, and Sometimes a Fantasy, were greeted with thunderous applause. It felt like seeing old friends after years apart. After She's Always a Woman, Joel paused to address a particularly befuddling lyric in the song. I'm still trying to figure out what that line means, he said. She can't be convicted, she earned her degree. I don't think a degree is getting anybody out of jail. What the hell was I talking about? She can't be convicted? She can't be expelled? Can't get detention. She's earned her degree, but she was always a woman to me. There's no real precedent in rock history for Joel's monthly Madison Square Garden residency. It seemed like a fun experiment when he started it nearly eight years ago, but it's gone on to become a key part of the New York City cultural scene, as important as any Broadway musical or jazz club. And then uh, the New York Post, some excerpts from that. Obviously, both of them, you know, touched on some of the same points. So I'll pick out a few things that the post said that Joel did one of the most New York of moves by acknowledging the 20th anniversary of nine 11 and the concert for New York city benefit that he played at the garden in October, 2001, he displayed a fireman's helmet. And that was Neil Scow's helmet on his piano that was found on nine 11. I just thought we should have it here tonight. He said before launching into New York state of mind, having a money moment early in the show. Even the lesser-known tunes that only Joel loyalists would know were greeted enthusiastically from an audience that surely consisted of many repeat residency attendees, and even songs they've heard a thousand times before, such as She's Always a Woman, which brought on one of the biggest crowd sing-alongs, sounded fresh again as if they were hearing them live for the first time. Joel himself looked renewed as well, having shed some 50 pounds since we last saw him at the Garden. And in addition to the natural excitement to play at the garden, the 72-year-old star displayed more energy and endurance, bouncing around on the stage to We Didn't Start the Fire, Uptown Girl, and It's Still Rock and Roll to Me, in the encore. Speaking of those lesser-known tunes, I don't know why I was so fixated on All for Lena" and Sometimes "A Fantasy uh, as the surprise songs. I guess because they were both from the same album, and I thought that was pretty cool. But yeah, I totally overlooked that he did... Uh, Everybody Loves You Now as well. That must have been a real treat. That's a
1: great song. And to see songs that he's been playing for 50 years, still making appearances in the set list. Talk yeah. about the timelessness of Billy's music. You know, we're just celebrating 50 years of Billy right now and the 50th anniversary of Cold Spring Harbor just happening. And, you know, whenever we see songs like Everybody Loves You Now and She's Got Away," Way, which were released when he was 22 years old, pretty incredible.
0: Yeah. Well, you know, it also, as you mentioned, this is the 50th anniversary of Cold Spring Harbor, which was actually this month anyway. So it was only a few days ago. Uh, But also Everybody Loves You Now was one of the only digital releases from the the vinyl collection box set. It was that New York state of mind. So I guess it's also appropriate that he hit that one as well. Absolutely. It's great to see him and the band having fun again.
1: That's one positive. I think that not that they weren't prior to the pandemic, but I think the long pause really made everyone miss it a lot more and really enjoy the moment a lot more. And, uh, you know, it gave everyone some time to just kind of woodshed a little bit and kind of dial in the performance. And a lot of live shows from
0: bands I've been seeing lately online, like a lot of bands are just playing better than ever. There's more of an appreciation for it. I think there was a great recharging of batteries Certainly a lot of artists wrote a lot during the pandemic and we got a spate of great albums in 2021, but you know, for Billy Joel, that means not taking for granted these monthly shows for him and the band. And it sounds like uh, everyone knew it and everyone appreciated that both on stage and off.
1: Absolutely.
0: And while we couldn't see Billy live, at least, well, at least Michael got to listen to that great box set this weekend. Mine's still in transit, but we did our unboxing video a couple of days ago before we recorded this podcast, and from here, we're going to give you an alternate cut of that unboxing. Since the other one was a video, we included a lot of, you know, visuals and looking at things, and in this version, you'll get a little more commentary, along with a good running tally of everything you'll find in the box.
1: Without any spoilers, I just want to say how excited I was to tear into this thing for the first time. Every time there's been something new in the Billy Joel world, as far as a physical release, I'm always insanely excited and it's been a while. So this was really exciting for me and for us. So we hope you like it.
0: A new release just dropped. It's the vinyl collection volume one, which Michael has been itching itching i say to open but he's waited just for all of you so we could all open this together check it out see what's in there see what the records look like see what the hype sticker looks like
1: this is something that i've been looking forward to for a long time i know there had been talks for years about reissuing billy joel on vinyl properly as the resurgence happened and They did it with The Stranger. There was a pressing of Piano Man out there as well. Uh, But this is the first time that a Sony proper release has been issued of Billy's first half of the catalog. And as a Billy fan and a vinyl fan, I couldn't be more excited about digging into this finally.
0: We're getting seven albums here. It's Cold Spring Harbor through 52nd Street, and then it's Songs in the Attic. And then the new release is live at the Great American Music Hall in 1975. And that's pre Lords, pretty much. It's only Doug Stegmaier on there. It's Doug in the original road band.
1: Yeah, this was the very first run that Doug ever did with Billy. I'm personally excited to hear Doug cutting his teeth with these songs.
0: So let's do this together. Mike, tell us about what we see on the front there. Tell, me, tell us what that hype sticker says. The hype sticker says Billy
1: Joel, The Vinyl Collection, Volume
0: 1. Eight vinyl
1: box set, including Cold Spring Harbor, Piano Man, Street Life Serenade, Turnstiles, The Stranger, 52nd Street, Songs in the Attic and the previously unreleased Live at the Great American Music Hall, two LPs, plus a 50-plus page booklet highlighting Billy Joel's early career. And the cover is a of the box is a fairly simple cover, but I like it. Uh, you know, Billy's records in the 70s and 80s had that classic Columbia Records, red with gold logo circling around it and the black font. And so essentially what you're seeing here is a Billy Joel record on a turntable. If memory serves, this looks pretty much like a a Sony turntable from back in the day. On the back, you've got Billy Joel in white, and then the album collection volume one in red, just a nice clean title. On the side of the box set, you're going to see the spines for each album,
0: as well as catalog numbers. And there's the booklet there as well. And those spines are, are true to the originals too. You can really tell by songs in the attic. I haven't even opened this
1: yet, but already from what I can tell, they did a, a great job matching it to the original. Then I'm going to flip it around to the back here. So we've got what appears to be a paper or cardboard backing that isn't necessarily adhered to the box, um, but it's just kind of laid in behind it under the shrink wrap. And so we've got the eight album covers, including the brand new... Great American Music Hall, cover right there. And we've got a uh, little write-up from Anthony De Curtis at Rolling Stone, which I'll read really quick. It says decades are never nearly as delineated as they appear on a calendar. They leak into each other and overlap, sometimes lurching backwards, sometimes forwards. In the case of Billy Joel, the 70s began in 1971 and came to something like a triumphant end in 1981. The arc of this collection, then traces the path of a young artist in search of his voice and his vision. It tells the story of a young man battling for respect and attaining it on his own impressive, uncompromising terms. He started the decade as an unknown and ended it as a superstar, one of the biggest rock stars in the world. Around the time of his breakthrough album, The Stranger, Joel would end his live shows by screaming to his audience don't take any shit from anybody. This collection contains the music of a man who never did." And again, that's from Anthony DeCurtis, contributing editor of Rolling Stone.
0: And I like that. I like it gives a good framework for jumping glass houses for volume one and going straight to Songs in the Attic because of course, Songs in the Attic comprises songs from the previous albums. Absolutely well, the incredible. previous first four, anyway. All right, crack it open, my friend.
1: Well, here we go, what do you Use say? Use your teeth if you gotta. I think the best place to start is going to be the booklet. And I don't know if you could see by the way it was in the box, but the albums themselves are in chronological order, starting with Cold Spring Harbor. And wow, at first glance, this is a really sharp booklet, almost like a cracked leather look. The first four covers are on top and you've got Billy Joel, the collection volume one underneath it, the additional four album covers on the bottom and the covers themselves have like a high gloss finish. And then the back of it is just more of that pattern.
0: Talk paper stock to me. How thick is that
1: booklet? You know, I'm going to liken it to a tour book. If you've bought like one of the tour books from like the guard residency or, or anything like that, it, it very much reminds me of the heft and the, uh the paper stock that you're going to find in that
0: nice. very, very high quality. And that looks like it's about the same width, I guess, of the records as well. So they all sit, do they all sit equally in the box?
1: Yeah, yeah, they do. So it's, it's, it's exactly the same dimensions as um, a record so and you're looking probably about the thickness of say songs in the attic because it's just a little thicker than a standard lp there's the opening uh
0: and then so that's from the man himself huh see it says
1: it's been a long time coming putting all of these albums in one package it's a little intimidating actually this seems like a lot of work i remember looking at each individual album and remember how much writing and recording and time and arranging and producing went into each album, Billy Joel. So he certainly is reminded of all the labor that went into making these records. Just at first couple glance, I mean, they've got some incredible photos.
0: Are those new photos or have you seen these before?
1: There are some here that I've never seen and I'm just on the first
0: page. Is that one whole essay that starts on the uh, facing page and goes mm-hmm. on to the right? Or is that two different subjects?
1: It's a few page piece that goes for quite a few pages.
0: So yeah, Anthony de Curtis
1: writes the entire piece in here, and it goes for several pages. Now granted, there are a lot of big photos and memorabilia peppered throughout. It's laid out very nicely. And what's underneath that first page here, it looks like it says Billy Joel discography on Columbia Records, you know, like a record of like all of his releases that I don't know what they were using it for, but I see singles. I see in Harmony Two. I see all the albums, so it's like his full comprehensive set of releases and release dates on Columbia records.
0: That's pretty cool. 45s as well. You're saying?
1: Yeah. Cause I can see like, this is the time with getting closer baby grand and big man, on Mulberry Mulberry street. We didn't start the firehouse of blue light. So yeah. And it's got like all the release dates of these singles as well. In all honesty, I would love a copy of that. Cause that would help our research. <laughs> <laughs> Cause this is like a one-stop shop of exactly when everything got released and you can only see pieces, parts of it. But wow, very cool. Archival photos peppered in with ticket
0: stubs. And... and what's that pink in the side? That's a ticket stub?
1: That's a ticket stub from uh, Ryder College, Lawrenceville, New Jersey, December 4th, 1977. Hmm. Student pricing is $4. All others, though, you're going to pay 8 bucks.
0: Oh, boy, boy. I tell you, you're really breaking the bank for those non matriculating fools.
1: Yeah, yeah, right? Stay They'll in school, get... kids. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> all this memorabilia and these tickets, everything, the quality of the scanning and the printing is like absolutely second to none crystal clear. You know, you've got the uh, Marisol festival, 1972. There's a piano man era thing Mm -hmm. backstage pass from the stranger. And there's a handful of photos that we've seen, you know, over the years, some of these shots that have floated around and also throughout there's peppered in quite a few quotes. You've got one from Tony Bennett, Ray Charles. You got Sting here. Roger Daltrey. Another thing scanned in here. Billy's birth certificate. Certificate of birth. William Martin Joel. May 9th, 1949. They don't have his uh,
0: Social Security and credit card number hanging around there. (laughs) No, unfortunately, (laughs) no.
1: But some of these documents are just kind of like overlaid on top of images. So you they're kind of hard to read. You kind of got to look closely. But I think it's a fun additional thing to throw in there.
0: You know, if you're looking at the two pages together, the the picture will take up three quarters, so like a page and a half, and then the last uh, vertical column would be the text.
1: There's the Hassles getting some love. And there's another shot of Billy, presumably at his home, his office. They got the piano and some gold records on the wall. Well, from Pink. They they didn't reach out to us for our quotes, I don't know. You
0: know, (laughs) guys, it's okay. We'll be here for volume two, but yeah.
1: yeah. A scan of a 45 of Nocturne made in Holland. So this is a Holland LP uh, 45. I know that Cold Spring Harbor, the full album got released in Holland on Phillips, but I've never seen that particular piece. That's really cool. So they like legitimately went into the archives and pulled out some great stuff. And so after that that essay peppered with the memorabilia, we're getting into the albums. So each starts with a nice, nice big shot of the album cover. And then it's got a write up on each record. Followed by lyrics and ad- again, some additional memorabilia. That's period. Correct. You know me, I'm a stickler for that. <laughs> uh, she's got away a single Phillips. So nocturne must have been the B side to she's got away. That's my guess. We've got some more piano man things. we got a little keychain. It says Columbia stereo, Billy Joel piano man in the shape mm-hmm. of a record. And then it looks like a, a, a Spanish record. Hombre del piano. We got a quote from John Mayer here.
0: Slight tangent, but didn't you find a, uh, or didn't you pick up um, a 45 with a Spanish language label earlier this year?
1: Yes. It's a 12-inch single from Mexico of You May Be Right. And with that one, they extended it by two and a half minutes, the song. Right, right, right. By just looping a section or two. But what's cool, it's on opaque red vinyl, which I like.
0: Oh, I like those.
1: Concert poster from... Bucknell's Davis Gym, December 1st, 1976. That is
0: one freaky deaky looking picture, man. Yeah. Paul McCartney quote, Garth Brooks. The Paul McCartney and Garth Brooks quote, they look like they're the only ones so far that got their own page. Yeah, you're
1: right. I I believe you're right.
0: Mm -hmm. And I like that because it would be, you know, Paul McCartney was a huge influence on Billy Joel, and then Billy Joel went on... Yeah, to influence Garth Brooks.
1: If I'm going to read any one of these quotes, I think it's got to be Paul McCartney, right? I, I, yeah,
0: that's that's acceptable. Is that fair? Well, yeah.
1: yeah. Yeah. Okay. So Paul says, "I love just the way you are." I think that's my favorite. I just think it's a really beautiful song, and people have often asked me, "Is there a song somebody else wrote you wish you had written?" And that's one of them. So that's high praise from a Beatle. Then ah, uh, we got the Street Life Serenade eight track. That pretty with the name. Addy written on it, which I probably have one of those too. <laughs> and then here we go, the Turnstiles album,
0: 1976. Very nice. Yeah, those essays are getting bigger and bigger. They, they sure are. Maybe as a bonus, we'll do an ASMR reading of them. You can hear you turning the pages and everything.
1: <laughs> yeah. This is the first one I really glanced at, but these mm-hmm. appear to be written by Billy.
0: Another 45 there. Germany, Say
1: Goodbye to Hollywood.
0: I, I feel like we've seen a lot of these before, but... I haven't seen any of the ones from other countries, really. Right.
1: A lot of these I, have, I haven't I have seen either. In Europe, they did a lot more picture sleeves than they did in America. I think with Billy, it was only like glass houses through the bridge and maybe Stormfront that had the picture sleeves. Everything else was just the Columbia plane sleeve. It's a nice layout. It really is. It's very well done. The colors are really nice. Mm-hmm. You know, they complement each other. The color choices throughout. And just it's just a very high quality print. See what's nice is after, after the lyrics is usually a full page spread of uh, memorabilia, records, photos, and things like that. So it's kind of bookends the, you know, the front end of it, it's the album cover. The back end of it is is associated uh, memorabilia that goes along with it. Maxwell House Coffee and J C Penny present the Piano Man, Billy Joel.
0: Man, what do I have to do to get a coffee company to sponsor me? Send me over some chock full of nuts, man. Now we're getting into 52nd Street here. Now what's that writing in the background on the turquoise page?
1: It's the same kind of thing on every with every album and it's typed. I'm having a hard time deciphering what it is. I can read some of the words, but there's no context as to like what sort of document these are. Now this is what's cool. On the flip side of it underneath the lyrics, the track sheet for a, a reel, for a 2-inch for the record for the recording. It's the DSR productions something. Uh yeah, it's hard. The entertainer talking. So this must be something else. Must not be the stranger, but I see Moog, piano, piano, electric guitar. Maybe it's a live track. Yeah, it might be a live recording from something. But now we're getting into songs in the attic land.
0: It looks like in lieu of lyrics on the other side, are those the liner notes from the original where he kind of talks about where they were recorded and they a little absolutely bit about each song. are. Oh yeah. cool.
1: I've loved these days. 1976. Hello, Jimmy Carter. Goodbye, gasoline. (laughs) It was fun growing up in the great spoiled bratdom of America. Yep. I'm guessing they left lyrics out because they're all on other records. It's kind of a, a waste of space to have it twice. Some more credits here. And then we have, um, product direction, Gretchen Brennison and Mary Thayer art and direction, art direction and design, Edward O'Dowd. And then we have a, um, Different photo credits from the page. Reese Clark contributed. I see. Oh, yeah. And then we got a thank you uh, page Todd Kamler, Claire Mer- Mercury, Lee Yesman, Myrna Suarez, Brian Ruggles, Steve Cohen, Kyle Ruggles, Richard Alcock, Vic Anacini, Angelina Capadano, Scott Carter, Frank Harkins, Lynn Cope. Lisa Murchies, Kelly Sipos, Rita Sato, Richard Story, and Tom Tierney. Special thanks to Eric Fellin, Paul Fierro, and Liz Weingart for memorabilia and artifacts from their personal collections. And I know those three, those are friends of ours uh, from the Billy Joel Completely Retold group. So very cool that they were able to contribute to this and get a uh, special thank you in the uh, in the liner notes here. That's very cool. Yeah. And then below that, we've got this great picture of Jeff Schock. And it says this box set would not have been possible without the tireless work of our friend Jeff Schock. It is dedicated to his memory. He's been with me since 1976. He was a tour manager, art director. He was in record promotion, management, production, you name it. He did it. He was a big, tall guy. He used to roam around in front of the stage taking pictures of everybody. And you might have seen him if you've seen our shows before. Anyway, we're going to miss him a lot. And that was Billy at Madison Square Garden, mm-hmm. November 18th, 2017, right after Jeff passed away. This uh, set here is something that Jeff started to spearhead before he passed away. Okay. He, was, he was working on this project, getting it going, getting it off the ground. That year, he and I were actually in regular contact talking about final reissues and some of the some of the um, the licensed things that had come out over the years. And he did not write say it, but I had a feeling he was working on something just based on a few things he said. And this was the project. And after he had passed away, it kind of sat on the shelf for a little while. Um, but fortunately, uh, you know, Billy's team and the folks at Columbia Records and Sony Music picked it back up. And uh, the results of it are uh, this great set that came out today. So what do you say shall we get into the albums themselves? Yeah, let's see these records, man. So we're going to start from 1971 here. Old Spring Harbor.
0: Now, if I remember correctly, the Columbia reissue, the photo is cropped right a little differently than the Family Productions. It's Can cropped much tighter. Yeah. So would this be the this would be the Columbia framing, do you think? Or the uh, the original? This is
1: the original framing. On the Columbia okay. framing, you don't see his hand. So this is the very original artwork as it was on the Family Productions release but I am willing to bet that this is the
0: 1983
1: mix. Um, I'm going to see, yes, it is. Okay. Oh, okay. I can see on the back, because this is the 1983 credits. I do see finished July to September, 1983 at Fidelity Studios in Studio City, California. So for those of you who've been clamoring for that 1971 original version (laughs) to get put back out there, I'm sorry, you're not going to find it here. And that doesn't surprise me as much as, Yeah, the Billy lore of that original 71 version. The one the general public and the market has known since 1983 is that version.
0: Well, it's back to needle drops on YouTube for me. Right. All right, so I see the red label. Yep, so it's the classic Billy Joel red label. Oh, wait, wait, but is it missing something? It indeed is.
1: There is no more Family Productions label. Font is a little different than they were back in the 70s. It's a little Mm -hmm. bolder, especially with the title. Are these 180? Um, No, they are a little thinner. I'd say they're standard weight. Like standard
0: or like flimsy 80 standard?
1: Uh, standard. They've got a little thickness to it. Now, this is exactly how the 83 version looked. And what yeah. I like too, is they're even logo correct with how the logo looked in 83 in the 70s? Oh, yeah. With the yeah. walking eye in the Columbia with lowercase letters up top. That's different mm-hmm. than the logo that they used the last 20 years or so
0: is the font on the back a little different or is that just from here i think it's
1: pretty similar but honestly it wouldn't surprise me if this was just retyped in a closed font i hate to speculate but they all have individual barcodes which means to me wouldn't surprise me if individually these end up getting released as individuals so now piano man's the first one with a custom sleeve which is correct um because that original The original did not have uh, cold spring harbor did not have a uh, and it's again period correct one side's just
0: black (laughs) but the other side here very nice
1: nice credits
0: you know once again very sharp Uh, especially black on white like they're white on black like that you know can be a little tricky
1: yep here's the record oh they even kept it okay cool so on piano man and street life serenade instead of side one and side two Mm -hmm. it said one side and another side yeah these these look just really sharp really well presented everything looks just nice and crisp and clear can't wait to hear these honestly now we're getting into street life 74. the, the artwork just
0: looks incredible that looks especially vibrant
1: yeah. my beef always with a lot of these reissues i'm, I'm not going to name labels or anything but you know they licensed the recording and i feel like a lot of it the artwork they got was just kind of second rate Mm -hmm. these it's like okay sony went into the archives found the masters used the masters you know on everything because it just looks i mean perfect
0: now wasn't there something with the street life cover uh when they put it out later that the the top the 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 writing on the top was uh cropped differently
1: yeah so in later later releases like the, the 98 cd release billy joel's street life serenade was. In the blue, in the top of the, in, in the top of the sky there. So, but this is exactly, this is how it did look in the original, in its original form.
0: So once again, like Cold Spring Harbor, true to how you would have seen it in the, in the early seventies. 100%. styles. Wow. wow. This looks really good. You know, again, so sharp. I think we've, I think with the exception of you and maybe a few other people, we all have secondhand versions of these yeah. records or the original ones people bought back in the seventies. I don't think I've ever seen
1: no this looks clearer than the original honestly. oh does it okay I mean, it's like it's up there it's very yeah it looks I thought maybe it was just because it was new yeah no it looks really good yeah and this one should have a custom uh sleeve in here and i see
0: it does now the question is are the lyrics going to be easier to read oh, no a little bit. <laughs> i know right I know you, you call it. it in person they're slightly
1: i have a pressing that's a darker green that makes it easier but True to the original, though, these are pretty, you got to work at it. Moving on 77, we got the Stranger, right? Now, I believe this is the 2008 positioning, because if I'm not mistaken, the original 77 one, the text was a little smaller. Well, it had a little more space in the middle. And what I'm excited to see in the 2008 version, this got left off, but there's the uh, photo credits of who everyone is. Yeah, so far, these are all like exactly like... Well done replicas of the original. Honestly, this is the best looking Billy vinyl product I've seen since the originals. We're gonna go into Fifty Second Street. Here we go. Billy sitting down at you know the classic insert, sitting with the trumpet inside the diner. I feel like they brighten the photos. Like they they don't look as dark.
0: Yeah, Doug especially. I think.
1: Yep. So these are definitely easier to see, but they look really good.
0: Doug Stegmeier, bass.
1: Yep. Liberty DeVito, drums. Phil Ramone, producer. Richie Kanana, saxophones, clarinet, and organ. Mr. Steve Kahn, guitars. Mm-hmm. Now we are getting into 1981. Everything here you see is chronological order by artist. So that part of me is like, ah, uh, Songs in the Attic should not be before Glass Houses. <laughs> but I get why. Absolutely, because the songs are all connected to the early albums. So here we have it. And it looks fantastic. Is it a little brighter? It feels like it might pop just a shade more. Now this All is right, the first gatefold. Go. And there we have it.
0: Very nice.
1: True to the original. I'm just, I'm really blown away with how how good it looks.
0: You know, most of us that bought these records secondhand, again, have never seen the album art this crisp.
1: So I believe this has the lyrics. If I'm not mistaken, yep, lyrics on one side and the the rest of the liner notes on the other. One the one difference here is the original was on more of a matte cardstock. This is more. This is more of like a semi-gloss, which is like your standard insert. And here we go. Original, there it is. Original sleeve. Like kudos to the team at Sony Legacy and Columbia Records and Billy's team because I, they're just they just are knocking it out of the park with how good this all looks. And so the final piece of this box set, live at the Great American music hall 1975 there it is for the
0: first time ever i don't know what i think of that shot it's good but like he looks so distressed Yeah, <laughs> looks a little haggard i
1: mean i i would happen to i would think that it's from
0: the, one of the shows that this was yeah. done, recorded from i'd so imagine you, that's why it has that sort of mic there yeah
1: that's a quite different mic than a usual stage mic the back is all in silver with black and white text behind it or in front of it with the um, the credits, or I'm sorry, the track listing up top. Here's the uh, the credits on it. it. Says recorded live for Columbia Records slash CBS by Ron Mallo and Mike Stewart with DSR Productions. Okay, that's what that real to real set DSR Productions. So maybe that's oh okay. This. Maybe it was this DSR Productions slash Devonshire Sound Studios at the Great American Music Hall. San Francisco, California, June 1975. Produced for release by Bruce Dickinson and John Jackson. Mixed by Frank Filippini at Right Track Studios, New York. Cover photo, Jim Marshall Photography. Art direction and design, Edward O'Dowd. Special thanks to Jeff Shock. And here's the band. Billy Joel, piano, keyboards and vocals. Don Evans, acoustic and electric guitars. Reese Clark, drums. Doug Stegmaier, bass. Johnny Almond horns and keyboards. All songs written by Billy Joel and published by Joel Songs, admin by Album Music Corp. Except for the excerpts of you know the other tracks that are in here, which is uh it's
0: like a Joe Cochran press. Yeah, yeah, you are
1: so beautiful, Benny and the Jets, Delta Lady, which are just fun interludes of you know. This was a common trope that Billy Joel would would pull out in the seventies. You know, and yeah. what was that show in seventy one that?
0: that we oh right in new york where he said oh you guys like impressions huh yeah he's like oh you like impressions yeah
1: and like that (laughs) we think that might have kind of stuck with them and he did that quite a bit before his sets got so robust there was just no room for it this recording has never been released anywhere no bootlegs of it exist So this was something that was just recorded for billy and for columbia records that literally sat in the vault until now
0: we've said a lot. I don't know if we've always said about, I've certainly seen it on the retold page where we've talked about, you know, come on, just start releasing the old concerts, right. you know? Yeah. But he doesn't do it a lot, but man, when he does it, it's always a significant one.
1: Yeah. And I think that that may be the method to it is because, yeah. you know, I mean, nothing knocking, you know, your Dave Matthews band, Pearl Jam, fishes of the world do release like four live albums a year. It seems like sometimes, I mean, I think that's cool as well. Metallica does a lot of it too, but it's like there's something to say for holding it back and just every now and again putting out something really cool that nobody's heard before or people haven't heard in years. So this one, there's no custom um, jackets, but they went with black instead of white, Mm -hmm. which is a nice touch. And again, this is a two LP set. So this isn't just one show. Perhaps that's why it just says a month and not dates specifically. The pressings look strong, solid. American
0: music hall, then that's not a gatefold.
1: No, it's not. And it's not even a super thick jacket, but they're 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 mm. both in the one slot. But here we, there you have it. That's the full set. Clearly they're setting up for a volume two, which is gonna begin with the glass houses and go through River of Dreams. And who knows, we may see fantasies and delusions on record. And can we uh plead our case for a live from long Island vinyl release or something cool from the next Ooh, one. Well, that would be something, you know?
0: Yeah. Cause there's, yeah. there's gotta
1: be a cool live thing coming for volume two, right? You would think?
0: Yeah. And and you feel like, you know, by then they had everything, you know what I'm saying? Right. So yeah, live from long Island would be the one.
1: My other thought for vol- for volume two as well. I know we're going over one here, but my thought for two is there was a couple of years ago, the Friday music set announced they were going to release the Russian record on vinyl. This was after the reissue on CD
0: Uh-huh.
1: and they were just like coming next year. And then they never spoke a word about it again. <laughs> and I asked them, I like emailed them or reached out to them on Facebook and nobody answered me. I'm assuming it got pulled. So I would think that it's going to get included in volume two. I would hope since it was an actual release, I know he doesn't love it either, but it's a document in time. It's a historical yeah. release. So I wonder if that's going to get, you know, in volume two as well. Yeah. But volume one, man, it's uh yeah, really, really well done. I know a lot of people were nervous, not thrilled about the price point, you know, 240 on Amazon and things like that. But, you know, you got to think this is the first half of his catalog. I mean, this, you know, it's not like you're just getting a record or two. This is, you know, his, his first six records, first live album, and then a brand new double live album. So you're really getting a lot of quality and I can definitely see that a lot of care and time was put into this set. And honestly, if you want to see more cool things come out, it's all driven by sales. I would wager to guess that the stranger deluxe edition didn't do terribly well. So, you know, there was originally going to be expanded versions of the whole catalog that didn't happen. I for one would love to see more of these reissues of volume two, certainly and some interesting new standalone releases. So honestly, the best way to, to make that happen is to to support what's new and coming out there. This They're going to look at these numbers and see how well they're doing. And I'm just speaking from what I'm seeing right now. But if the audio is any reflection of the quality of the packaging and the artwork and the jackets and the book, it's a big home run. Well, this was the first. I think this was the first time since you and I started the podcast that there has been a big new Billy Joel release to talk about. Yeah, you're right. I, for one, as a Billy fan and as a vinyl fan, this was perfect for me. It was like the Metallica Billy matchup in Vegas. (laughs) To have all these records beautifully redone, and I, I, I can't wait to hear these. I got the box that morning. It sat taunting me on my desk all day. And... The first time I looked at any of it was live on camera as we went through the unboxing together. Yeah, I wanted to see it and experience it with fresh eyes and have you all hear our first impressions of it and what you saw and what you heard is exactly that, what we experienced as it happened the first time.
0: We're not going to get too far into the American Music Hall album because it's not available on streaming or digitally anywhere yet. But we are going to talk about the two songs that they released on YouTube already. And those are New York State of Mind and Everybody Loves You Now. Now, the significance of the recording. They did put this to tape for a very specific reason. Um, At the time, Billy had a touring band but had used session musicians for Cold Spring Harbor, Piano Man, and Street Life Serenade. The touring band, which now included Doug Stegmaier, was really keen to do some recording themselves. And so management arranged to get these shows recorded as I believe sort of a pitch Columbia records to say, Hey, you got to hear, you know, this is the band we need to hear on record. Um, Obviously that never panned out and the shows were archived uh, for decades. So what you're hearing is, you know, truly a transitional point. You know, not only do we have one of the key Lords of 52nd street members in there, but he's also debuting a song that would then be fully fleshed out on turnstiles with Liberty, with Russell, with Richie, and of course, Doug. Let's start with New York State of Mind. I tell you what, with this
1: one, I was really surprised that this song was as fully fleshed out this far ahead of Turnstiles.
0: It reminded me of Scenes from an Italian Restaurant on CW Post. Now, in that case, for CW Post, they played it. They had not even met Phil Ramone yet, so they hadn't recorded it. But it's there. I mean, obviously, it gets polished a little in the studio, but... There are no huge differences in the arrangement or the melody or anything like that. And the same goes for New York State of Mind. And this was really
1: now the first recorded instance I can think of of a prominent saxophone on a Billy Joel song. So three turnstiles, Billy was already priming to have a sax player in the band.
0: Yeah, that is a bit of a revelation to know he was already thinking in those terms. It was clearly
1: written with that in mind as we're now learning with this recording because I guess I always just kind of assumed that it was something that was decided on as they were working on it in the studio. Like, oh, it would be great to have a sax here. Well, it turns out that was the
0: case all along. In this recording, you know, it's, it's funny to hear the vocals. The singing sounds just a little stilted. You know, he's not sort of relaxed and belting it out yet. And, you know, it's tough to tell if it was a stylistic change, and we've just heard New York State of Mind the way we've heard it for so many years, and so it sounds stiff. Or if he was going for sort of a crisper cadence there, and so and if that was on purpose. But the vocals are, that, that's pretty different. The arrangement is pretty much the same, but it definitely still has a bit of a West Coast feel. There's no orchestra, obviously, but you have some uh, little hippie-ish guitar licks, little kind of country-ish you know, flourishes yeah. here and there, and that's something we wouldn't hear once Russell came on board. Drums' Reese Clark is pretty uh, is pretty tight on it. Obviously had a very, very different pocket than Liberty, but his pocket here is in fine form. Great drummer.
1: And it's interesting because the Turnstiles era was like the big shift in the band. We've obviously heard the Lords play a lot of the Cold Spring Harbor through Street Life songs over the years, certainly. But to hear... Granted with Doug, but the older band plays something that ended
0: up on turnstiles. So interesting
1: to hear that the other way around. And
0: so speaking of hearing the Lord's do Cold Spring Harbor, we now get the original backing band plus Doug doing Everybody Loves You Now. And what a hybrid arrangement this is. It's the best way I could put it because of course on the original, on the Cold Spring Harbor studio version, the opening is all piano. On Songs in the Attic, it's pretty much all guitar. On this version... It's both. You have that, that fast piano run and the, the acoustic guitar going at the same time.
1: Yeah. And actually, the original Family Productions version of Everybody Loves You Now, if I'm not mistaken, has the acoustic guitars up in the mix with the piano. Oh, really? So it really, yeah, the the mix of it is drastically different from the 83 version. Mm, um, and it reminds me more of that.
0: I want to hear one second. Yeah. I believe you, but... Uh, it's...
1: No, no, you should hear it.
0: Okay, yeah, yeah, it's in there, but not quite as much. You know, right, it's still right. the piano's prominent. Reese also, you know, does a lot of different stuff on the drums in this. What is it like the either the second verse or the bridge has like a little double-handed hi hat thing going. Yeah, uh, he's got a little bit of the Ronettes boom, 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 clock, boom, 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 clock, which of course would end up on "Say Goodbye to Hollywood." I really like this version, I have to say. Um, the mix is great because it, it's not bloated; it's yep. kind of thin in a good way. This whole show was
1: multi-tracked. They were able to mix it fresh for this release. They got just a
0: great, clean recording of this show. It just sounds so good. So go ahead and let us know what you think. If you uh, picked up the vinyl box set, uh, what are your thoughts on the packaging? What do you think of the remasters? And of course, what do you think of this new live album? If you are at Madison Square Garden on Friday, November 5th, Friday night, a couple of days ago, from when we first published this episode... Uh, What was your takeaway? What what did it feel like walking into Madison Square Garden for the first time and God knows when? Seeing those lights go down, seeing the band take the stage, high points for you, favorite songs, favorite renditions, whatever, man. We weren't there, so we want to know.
1: We want to live vicariously through you for this night. And are you going to see Billy in Vegas with me in February? (laughs) Are you going to go see Metallica, the one-two punch? I want to know. Which of my friends are going to be going to these shows? So let me know as well. Let us know. podcast at gmail.com as always.
0: And we're on all the socials under Glasshouses a Billy Joel Podcast. And as you're surfing those socials, if you happen to listen to us on an Apple Podcast, please take a moment and give us a five star rating and a positive review. Every five star rating and positive review tells uh, the mighty Apple that they should put us in front of more people. So it's a fast, easy, and free way to help build the community and support the podcast.
1: Absolutely. That means a lot to both of us. It's an exciting time to be a Billy Joel fan. There's so many great things going on all at once. And I have a feeling that there's some great things on the horizon as well. So we love your excitement. We're excited. And let us know what you're looking forward to coming down the road here. And we'll see you next time. We'll see you soon. Thanks, everyone. Oh, this is what you want ain't too proud. Everybody